I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip. It is a brand new episode of The Contest and Me uh, with me, James. I'm back from a week away. Rob, it's great to be back. Yes, he's back and I'm back. I've survived my stag do. Well done, <laughs> both of us, for being here, as you say, James, for another brand new episode of The Contest and Me. Terrifying to think, James, we are halfway through the current series. We're halfway through the... 2023 slash 2024 whatever we're calling it series of the contest and me this year yes we are yeah we started off with us two which was great fun thanks for all your comments about uh, getting to know us a little bit better and then rob you were flying solo last week as i was on my very own euro trip uh when you spoke to the bbc's daniel rosney that was a great chat to find out uh, his journey uh with the eurovision song contest yeah, Daniel Rosney, of course, was the BBC's Eurovision reporter. He's just announced, actually, he's leaving the BBC. So we uh, we got him <laughs> on the podcast at exactly the right time. Some brilliant stories there. And I know loads of you have been getting in touch about what you thought about last week's episode. But James, it's down to you today. You bring us another conversation with a well-known personality from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And who's on the menu today? Yes, we've got uh, Samia Hafsawi for you this week. Uh, she is a Eurovision journalist. You may remember her from in Rotterdam. She was doing some stuff on the YouTube channel. She was doing some of the, the online press conferences. And then she was working uh, in Turin as well a year later for the digital team. And then this year, she had a very interesting job. as She was part of the Dutch jury who was giving out the scores uh, for, for her home nation of the Netherlands. So we'll get into all of that to find out a little bit more about Samia and Eurovision. And of course, we've got all those things that we'll talk to Samia about, as well as, of course, the questions that you've come to know and love from every single episode of The Contest and Me. So that's all on the way. Yes, here we are then, halfway through this series of The Contest and Me. Plenty of more guests on the way, including Samia, who we'll be chatting to a little bit later on. But Rob, yes, as you say, you had a busy weekend, I had a busy week last week, and we're both back all in one piece. Or like two pieces, I'm one piece, you're the other one. I'm only just one piece, to be honest. (laughs) My voice has just about returned. If we'd have done this recording any earlier, I was fairly croaky but it's just about on the way back i sound like i could do one of those like really like sexy perfume adverts <laughs> if i get really close to the microphone oh the lily <laughs> people people may have turned off at that exact moment apologies <laughs> but yeah no i survived my stag do um it was monopoly themed which 
people may think is a bit bizarre. Me and you have a shared love of the board game Monopoly. Mm. You either love it or you hate it, don't don't you, when it comes to yeah. Monopoly. But for you and... with Monopoly, which I just thought was a tremendous invention. Yeah, Monopoly is what we played. Um, I was dressed up as Mr. Monopoly. I had some dice to roll. Um, the dice corresponded to whichever bar we went to. So that was fine. And also, you'd be pleased to hear that Eurovision did obviously make an appearance on the Stag Do. So we had some Eurovision pre-drinks on the Saturday night. So my friends had booked out a private room in a pub and uh, they'd put some bunting up and they were they were blasting some Eurovision songs out, which, I'll be honest, did appear to clear the rest of the pub. <laughs> When we walked in, the pub was full, and then when we left about an hour later, the pub was no longer full. But I like to think it wasn't to do with the Eurovision playlist that they had going. But yeah, a lovely time was had. Did you have a nice holiday? You uh, you alluded to it at the start of the podcast. You said you've just been on your own Euro trip, so mm-hmm. remind us where you've been. Been everywhere, yeah. Um, flew to Greece, uh, Corfu, and then went to Slovenia, and then Italy, and San Marino, and Croatia and Montenegro. So yeah, I've been, been all over in the space of seven days. Absolutely loved it. A couple of things to ask about very, very quickly, because not many people who are listening to this will have been, I'm sure. How was San Marino? Did you find Valentina's Airbnb? I was looking for it. Do you remember when she was on the podcast a couple of years ago and she was in her Airbnb at the time uh, that she rents out to people, just Eurovision fans and others. But no, I couldn't find her. I couldn't find it, sadly. But no, it was lovely, really small, just about enough to do in the few hours that we were there. Really, really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, probably up there with one of my favourites. And then obviously Montenegro as well was another one of my favourite places to go to. Probably would never have gone there before, but would love to go back. Yeah, Montenegro was the other place I wanted to ask you about because I've also been, we've both been to the same place, which is KOTOR in Montenegro. And a lot of cats, James. Did you see lots of cats? That was probably why it was my favourite place because <laughs> I love cats I don't think I've ever said this before. I love cats, but I'm allergic. So I can't actually have one because I would just oh, no. sniff and sneeze all day. It would be a catastrophe. Oh, dear me. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there was just, I don't know if anyone's ever been before, but there's just cats walking all over the place. You said you've been. You probably remember it as well. There was just cats absolutely everywhere. So it was, yeah, it was gorgeous weather. The scenery is lovely and there's cats everywhere. It was just heaven. And there's a cat museum. And there's a cat museum. You can get in for one euro and it's just loads of pictures of cats. Honestly, what a dream. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Have you been on your own euro trip this summer? (laughs) Do let us know at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and threads or pop us an email as well if you want. Hello at EuroTripPodcast.com. You're listening to The Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. So Samia Hafsawi is on the way. We'll be chatting to her, asking her all the usual questions that we ask everybody who comes on the contest and me. Uh, But first, Rob, we've had a couple of emails come through. Yes, we certainly have. I'll get to the emails in a sec. But first, a couple of comments on last week's podcast that, of course, as you said, I was flying solo alongside Daniel Rosny, the BBC's Eurovision reporter for Eurovision 2023. Uh, Jamie got in touch on Twitter, had a very early commute this morning. This was a lovely listen to start the day. Thank you. And uh, Una as well. Such a fun podcast. And then that was followed by four exclamation marks. So that just, you know, that just (laughs) exemplifies how fun Una thought the podcast was. Uh, Laughed a lot and time really went by. 
Thank you. Uh, so thank you to Jamie and Una for getting in touch. But yeah, James, a couple of lovely emails. So these emails have come through over the last few weeks. Basically, me and you have done quite a bad job of uh, keeping a, a decent oversight of the inbox. So <laughs> I thought I'd delve in there the other day. And I found these ones from from Marty and from Chris. So Marty got in touch at the very start of, of August. So I think this was after we'd done our episodes about uh, TAP and the BBC and also spoken to, to Lee Smithurst and Dan Shipton about Eurovision 2023. Uh, Marty simply said, Hi, just discovered you. We'll be listening next season. Excellent podcast. Can't say, can't say better than that, can you? Lovely jubbly. Yeah, thank you. And then Chris got in touch last week, and uh, this was after he had heard my episode. So this is where you interviewed me about my history with the Eurovision Song Contest and my love. Um, I'll paraphrase because it, it's quite a lengthy email, but thank you for taking the time to, to get in touch with us, Chris. Hi, guys. I've been a listener to your podcast for about a year and a half now, and I have to say you do a fantastic job. As a Eurovision fan since I was a child, I've never really had any friends to chat to about Eurovision, so discovering your podcast has been a bit of a lease of life. It feels like I'm chatting to a couple of mates about Eurovision when I listen. Isn't that nice? So thank you, Chris. And then Chris does also go on to say, by the way, that me and him share a lot of the same memories. Uh, His favourite contest is also 2003 first one that he remembers watching when he was 11 years old and his favorite song from Eurovision 2006 is also Alf Danson which was Norway's entry that year uh, and then Chris says all the best keep doing what you're doing so yeah thank you to Marty and thank you to Chris for getting in touch if you have anything you want to share with us especially if you're being nice more <laughs> likely to get read out if you're being nice hello at your Yes, we love it when you get in touch. Please do keep all of your thoughts coming in, especially if you like Chris and your friends haven't quite cottoned on to Eurovision yet. I'm sure you're still working away on them, Chris. Uh, maybe you've got some friends that you haven't convinced are Eurovision fans yet and you want to share some of your memories, uh, some of your early memories, some of your favourite songs with us as we go through the contest and me this year. Do get in touch. We love to hear from you. But in the meantime, shall we get to Samia Haf Sawi? We're going to ask her all of these questions that we've been asking everybody on this series to find out more about her love of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, Samia is such a fun person. She is so enthusiastic about everything she does, and Eurovision is no different. I got the chance to hang out with her a bit in Turin in 2022 when I was doing a bit of work for Eurovision, because Samia, of course, was also working for Eurovision back in 2022. As James, she will come on to. But the story about how she got involved with Eurovision in the first place is also a brilliant one and one she goes into detail with. Yeah, she'll tell us how uh, she got involved in Eurovision back in 2021 when Eurovision was, of course, being held in her home country of the Netherlands. Uh, She was a bit of a a late adopter to the world of Eurovision as well. So she's a bit of a newbie, but it's safe to say uh, we've all taken her to our hearts. And very easy to do so, because I remember when we first saw her doing the press conferences and doing a bit of presenting in Rotterdam in 2021. I remember I spoke to her before Rotterdam in 2021 here on the podcast, actually, on the Eurotrip. And from that moment on, you knew she was going to be a very welcome addition to the Eurovision family, because... Yeah, as I say, she's so enthusiastic, so lovely. The artists all absolutely love chatting to her. 
So yeah, we had to get her on the podcast. Yeah, she's got such an infectious personality. Rob, you mentioned the artist there. She'll tell us a little bit about hanging out with the artist in that delegation bubble uh, back in 2021. And also, we'll start the conversation by talking about her very exciting role that she had uh, for Liverpool 2023. So I managed to sit down with Samia a couple of weeks ago uh, as she was sitting by the side of her six-month-old child. So if you do hear anything in the background, it might be some cartoons on the TV or it might be her baby just having a bit of a wriggle around, but all is well, don't you worry. <laughs> so shall we get to it then? Uh, this is Samia Hafsawi on The Contest and Me. Samia Hafsawi, welcome to The Contest and Me. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Uh, now, obviously, we've got the, the same questions as we do for all our guests to come. Uh, to find out loads about your Eurovision love and your Eurovision journey, but we naturally start yes. with 2023. Uh, you had a particularly important and crucial and interesting role this year, didn't you? Well, yeah, I was head judge, which was a big surprise to me as well. <laughs> You've got to tell us more about this role because I think we've only had like maybe one person on the podcast before who has been on the jury and has spoken about it in the past. So we would love to know a little bit more yeah. about sort of how it works and, uh, and what the processes are effectively. Because I guess you weren't in Liverpool, were you back home in the Netherlands? Yeah, so the judging takes place uh, in your respective country. And then there's a like an NEP bus outside of the head office of the broadcaster. So we actually get the broadcast, like it's not streamed like in the media center for the journalists. It's like the actual television feed that we see. And then you obviously judge the jury show. And you get a sheet and then you rank everyone. So you do the complete ranking list. I thought it was like one to 12. <laughs> yeah, so you're not even doing like a top 10 or something. You're doing the full no, 26. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's my biggest misconception going into it. I thought that you do like a one through 12, but then that wouldn't be possible because then if people really differ in opinion, then... It's not going to add up. Yeah. Um, so if like a performance is kind of middle of the road good, they can actually really, really go up in rank. If another performance is like A star for someone and like a straight F for someone else, like speaking in American terms. <laughs> um, so that's a, a thing that changed my perspective on the contest. Yeah. If there's one thing I take away from being a judge is that I was surprised that um at the jury ranking system being so different than my bingo scorecard <laughs> in my living room normally. <laughs> but but similar in a way, like your bingo card, you're using a pen and paper. And by the sounds of things, it was pen and paper for the jury as well. It wasn't like a digital yeah, thing. Yeah, pen and paper. No, 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 pen and paper, really old school. Um, there is a, I don't know what the English word for it is, but like an official, like... Um, Oh, yeah, like, yeah, just like an official, somebody there with you to make sure yeah, everything's okay. Yeah, just an official. Yeah, yeah. it's called notaris <laughs> in, in, in Dutch. Um, but yeah, and you give your passport and everything. Like, it's really, they're really strict. Um, so you are who you are, and then you get um, the lyrics printed out. I don't know if it's the same for every single country. So you get, like, an information video on, like, congratulations, you're a judge. Don't mess it up with instructions. <laughs> and then you sit down and then... And then you can, you know, make some notes and everyone's name is there and picture and stuff and um, then you judge. And then the other thing that surprised me, if there's one th feedback thingy, 
we don't have the commentary for the postcards. We don't get any information on the on the performances. So it's Which different. You don't actually learn stuff about the artist like you would at home then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought there was like a generic kind of facts and figures, <laughs> just a commentator that does it for all the judges. But no, we have complete silence, which makes the postcards very awkward to watch. <laughs> <laughs> There's some feedback then for the EBU. You would like a sort of a world feed commentator yeah. for, the, for the juries. <laughs> also, maybe to give some context, do you know what I mean? But then again, if you are purely judging the singing and the performances, etc., then maybe, yeah, a country could uh, maybe say, hey, like, if you would have added this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is the most neutral way. So maybe I should applaud it, but I really missed <laughs> the kind of jokes and stuff uh, during the postcards. <laughs> well, it's fascinating to find out a little bit more about that role, because obviously it's something that most of us will probably never do and probably a role that you thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed doing as well. Yeah, and also it really happened by accident because I thought that I would still be going to Liverpool. So I didn't post about anybody because I, as a kind of EBU person thingy should be as neutral as possible um but that also happens to be a rule for a judge so because i didn't post about any artist beforehand i was able to be a judge if i had known uh way before that i wouldn't have gone then maybe i would have enthusiastically said something about somebody and then i wouldn't have been able to judge so like it was a good happenstance of circumstances because like if you were a proper proper fan and you dream about being a judge you like you just go cold turkey. You need to stop yeah. posting. <laughs> yeah, which for a lot of people, uh, because I was, I think I got the email end of April, which is quite late. Yeah, so you should, if you want to audition to be a judge, you can't actually say anything about anybody, which is quite, you know, boring if you want to do the whole pre-season, national final <laughs> thing. There you go. There's a lesson for everyone. Stay quiet yeah. on social media if you want to be on the jury. Oh, it's yeah. fascinating. Samia, thanks for that. Um, let's rewind then. Let's head back to your very first Eurovision memory. Tell us about when it was. Can you remember what it was? Take us back. Every single time I hear a song, I go like, ah, did I? Like, was I old enough to kind of be there? Because <laughs> um, sometimes I see like a very niche kind of song from like 2001 and I'm like I swear like if, but then again sometimes retrospectively Eurovision songs get played at like parties in obviously in the Netherlands so like I think it's a false memory but the first like win that I was a fan of was like Satellite because um, it was like in the perfect I was a fan of Lily Allen and Kate Nash and kind of those artists and she had the kind of thick British accent when she sang mm. I think I was I was the target audience so yeah that that's my first uh, proper Eurovision memory um, but then I think Ruslana sneaked in there somewhere. So like, <laughs> I was going to say that. So when you were young and growing up, was it not a huge part of your your childhood? Then it was sort of maybe on in the background yeah, on my, TV. Yeah, like sort of my mum was a yeah. My mum watched it, but I don't. I don't think I consciously really sat down for it because um, it was just, it was just fun. But I was really like um, 
I was born in 94. Um, and in the Netherlands, we didn't really have the best streak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was, I was very much pre-Anouk. um consuming eurovision so that wasn't the brightest star in the dutch music industry um but i am very happy to say i was like a fan after uh that satellite win so like i i remember being very opinionated about the dutch people that we would send and kind of dream of the day where we take it a bit more seriously And it's also been very interesting because the Dutch performers that did go um, during that kind of mucky period, I, I can safely say, they have said that they didn't feel safe and they didn't feel respected and they feel like they carry a bit of trauma when it comes to Eurovision. Um, so that makes me really, really sad and motivates me, I think, to be really diligent in protecting anybody that is at Eurovision or wants to go to Eurovision. Um, so yeah, it kind of has awakened a flame in me, remembering how I was as a viewer, judging them so harshly sometimes. Um, and then being at the contest now as a professional and kind of seeing what it really takes of someone being there. And then hearing those stories of them feeling unsafe and unwanted really, and me going, okay, my mum, my mummy flame. I'm <laughs> 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 just trying to protect everyone and make sure everyone has a good time. So it's been really interesting to kind of reevaluate my relationship with the contest and kind of say, hey, what kind of role do I want to play maybe in the future? And a big thing I really want to do is, you know, make sure that an artist feels really taken seriously and appreciated when they're there. I think as a fandom, we also have come to that point of wanting to make sure that everyone really feels welcome and safe. Absolutely. And I think hopefully people are recognizing that that has come a long way in that, you know, 14 yeah. years or so since you have that very first memory back when when Lena won <laughs> uh, back in 2010. I, I must ask one more question about that as well. Was that like you sitting down and watching it for the first time? Was there, was there a bit of a family party watching it? Or is that just a just the very first vague memory of it where you may have yeah, just, just me it sitting down with my mum, just like hearing <laughs> hearing Lena sing and her reminding me of the music I was already a fan of. I think that's that's the that's the link. And um I was way older when I found out um Lorraine was was Moroccan and that's obviously a very personal uh win because I'm very, you know, consciously active in the representation scene and uh kind of being flabbergasted that like that that's not a bigger thing that people know. I'm sure we'll probably talk about Lorene at some point over the next 20 minutes, half an hour or so, uh, through the through the rest of the questions. Yeah. Um, let's see if she comes up in this one then, because we've got to find out the moment you fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest. So we found out that your first memory of it is Lena winning in 2010. At what point yeah. do you think you actively looked and watched and thought, yeah, Eurovision, this is a bit of me? I think when I think when Duncan won it became really realistic as in it was such a big foreign thing. I think when, when Anouk participated, we all, that's when I thought, okay, like, oh, this is like um, a music thing as opposed to an entertainment thing, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like it was still the contest of being a bit of an entertainment show. And then when Anouk went, I thought, oh, it's like a music thing. But then I didn't work in media myself. So it didn't like, it was just, You know, it's a thing on the telly. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then it's still in the periphery, isn't it? It's like yeah, it's like a telly thing. And then I started working for television in 2017, and then Duncan, and then I kind of started growing into it in, in 2018, 2019. So kind of Duncan winning perfectly coincided with me actually being uh, in the same room as people from Afrotros. Um, so that's when the contest really became really real to me. I was like, I can actually be in the telly. Like, um, I can <laughs> participate in this thing that I really enjoy. Um, so that's the story behind that. So I think Duncan and my own interests kind of perfectly aligned timeline-wise. Um, and then obviously Rotterdam happened. And I think that's for a lot of Dutch people when they felt maybe less ashamed to really like Eurovision. Like, I really applaud people that were a diehard fan through everything. I can sadly say I was not. I was very much kind of a passive enjoyer of Eurovision. And now I will give you like a whole TED talk and a lecture to say that it's <laughs> cheap entertainment. I will I will bring my PowerPoint. Um, but I'm very much not ashamed to say that I came in quite late. Then again, I'm only 29, so like, what is late? Yeah, that's not too late. That's not late <laughs> yeah. at all, not in the slightest. And it's interesting you mentioned that about so many other Dutch people, that Duncan's win and then hosting it two years later was sort of a bit of an awakening for a lot of people for taking it yeah. a bit more seriously, recognising it was more about music than entertainment, that realisation that you also had. You see that in other people as well in the Netherlands? A hundred percent, yeah. I think because of uh the performances that we sent and again with all due respect for the performance that that went um people you know saw it as a it was like a, a nostalgic thing where we had like this we had a winning streak going back in the day you know what i mean like <laughs> we had a bit of a streak you guys like on the charts like the netherlands is quite high for like countries that have won it mm. the next amount of time um but i think arcade and it's really strange because duncan has received so much backlash uh due to uh this year's uh performance choice and etc um which people have started retrospectively kind of, of retroactively is the right english word yeah retrospectively, kind of not liking yeah. yeah not liking arcade again and i'm like a liar you love it <laughs> <laughs> um which is strange but yeah uh, it it's very much is now for a lot of Dutch people something we have an active opinion on as opposed to something we just let be watched on the telly and then left. Um, if anything, the discourse around this year's competition have shown that a lot more people care in the Netherlands than you would think. And there's already Dutch artists that are actually actively saying that they want to do it now this year, which is really rare. Um, so there's already a big campaign around uh, a certain Dutch performer that, and he's like making TikToks about going to Eurovision and stuff, which is, yeah, it blows my mind that so many <laughs> young people, I mean, Steen did it in a tweet and then she ended up going. Um, but yeah, definitely in the public and professional field, people really feel like Eurovision is something they can safely wish for as opposed to it being, you know, a, a joke. Which is great, yeah. which is absolutely great. We love to see it. It's what we? we want. We do. Yeah, it's what we want. <laughs> uh, Samia, let's chat about your favourite Eurovision year. Now, obviously, we might not have a, a lot to go on. If, yeah, you know, Rotterdam. You only... Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> is it Rotterdam? Is it Rotterdam? Easy. Is it 2021? Is that an easy question? There are 
very easy. <laughs> it, it was incredible. Um, Remind us about your role as well, because if people are even newer than you are to Eurovision, tell us what your role was yeah. in, in Rotterdam. Um, so I sent a cheeky email with my resume. Um, because here's the thing. One rule that I found out working in media is that you think a lot of people want the job and you are right, but not a lot of people apply for the job because they're scared of the job. And I just sent an email because um, I was like, all of these people in the media are going, I want to work at Eurovision, I want to work at Eurovision. And then I asked, and I was like, how many people apply? And they're like, not many. I was like, really? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I did press conferences. I was host of the online media center for all the journalists watching because of quarantine. And then I did two YouTube series for Avro Troste host broadcasters. So I had like four or five different odd jobs. And the story is, um, for the people that have seen the Manaskin press conference on YouTube, which is like a million views, which is crazy. They were like, it's only going to be watched by like 200 journalists. And then <laughs> I think someone from the fan media puts it on YouTube themselves and now it's gone viral. But um Two of my colleagues were supposed to host all of the press conferences and they were like, oh, Samia, like, we know you're a backup. We'll give you a few countries so you can, you know, also have some press conferences. And then Malta, uh, Destiny, was still number one in the polls. Uh, so they were like, oh, we'll give you like the big five so you can do at least, you know, the, the whole thing until the final. So we'll give you like France, Italy and Germany. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then obviously, um, I love I love Jendrik and he's amazing. But like, obviously, all eyes were on France and Italy when they became one and two in the polls. Um, so that's the story. I wasn't even supposed to interview Monoskin at all. Um, but due to them kind of taking pity on me, I did. I'm really <laughs> glad. <laughs> Which is obviously an incredible experience from you just sending an email going, yeah, I'd quite like to do this. And then you get to interview the, the eventual winner and probably one of the most successful artists who've ever done Eurovision yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, and also Barbara, like Barbara Pravi is absolutely amazing. Like she signed the vinyl for me with like a whole kind of personalised story on it. It was absolutely incredible. And it's very strange to kind of explain to people what the vibe was in Rotterdam because we couldn't really socialize because of, you know, COVID. Um, the only place we could socialize was the table tennis table. Yes, which we um, saw loads of videos of. I feel yeah. like everybody wanted to be there. <laughs> uh, the table tennis table was the place to be. Shout out to Senate. <laughs> Senate is an incredible table tennis player for the people that don't know. Um, did you get like to play Did you get to play a game yeah. against her? Oh, you did? Yeah, she beat me <laughs> she just wiped everyone it was so cool um everyone oddly enough was a really good table tennis player yeah. um and that was really fun so that's you know the the dance crew from the english delegation and jean gu and his management team and senate and uh ukraine was also was also really good tennis players and yeah it was just really really fun and then we would play during the actual contest so we would still be playing when the proper live show was on. And then they had to drag, drag people from the table. They were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to get a mic and then we'll come back. We'll finish. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel the, like this needs the, to be a regular yeah. occurrence at every Eurovision going forward now. Just a random table tennis table somewhere yeah. for all of the artists to get in and for all to enjoy. In. <laughs> yeah. If there's one big thing that I can recommend to all host broadcasters is really focus on that communal space in the delegation bubble. For the people that don't know, that's kind of the the name for the place where all the artists are together. Like, make sure that you really, you know, nourish and create 
a kind of communal sense because it is a contest and these people are putting everything on the line. Um, but, you know, you have your peers there. Like, there's so... There's not a lot of people that really understand performing for millions and millions of people on that scale, except for the rest of your contest family. Uh, so, yeah, I really hope that they continue this tradition of at least a foosball table, like something. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the table tennis wasn't there in 2021, if Rotterdam Hold would have been you. your... Yeah, I was going to say, it wouldn't have been your favourite Eurovision if if the table tennis wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, because it was like the place where I actually made friends. Um, like the whole thing with Manuskin, why I had such a good vibe with them during the press conferences is because I table tennis with them all day, every day. Um, so yeah, it's really funny. They did a Dutch interview a couple of months ago. And then the interviewer was like, do you want to say hi to someone in the Netherlands? They're like, yeah, yeah, table tennis girl. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) One of the best memories you could probably have. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Shall we do your most memorable Eurovision moment? This could either be something that you were involved in or something you saw on TV. Just something that always sticks in your head when somebody says Eurovision. Doing the winner's interview with Kalush Orchestra. Okay, um, so this was the year, year later, wasn't it? 2022, you yeah. were back working uh, at Eurovision, but it, it's similar, but a different capacity. Can you tell us a bit Very more about Very different it? capacity. Yeah, so um, Rory and I, which Rory was my cameraman and, and director and editor and audio and everything. It was just me and Rory running around, basically. And it was really, really cool to kind of do a, a video a day and kind of throw in memes and references and niche jokes from the Eurovision Reddit and all the places <laughs> that I secretly lurk in the shadows. Um, so we did the winner's interview with uh, Klushin. It was obviously, I didn't want to ask the wrong thing, but I also didn't want to, you know, shy away from the circumstances. Because almost it's like a, a winner that we'd almost never had before in a circumstance we'd never had before. So, you know, you try and ask those questions, but yeah, right questions. we've had war. But, like, this was such a... The stakes among among the fandom and the discourse was also very high because, you know, you don't want to entertain the idea that they don't deserve the win. And you don't want to entertain the idea that it's kind of, you know, symbolic. Because they were really high in the polls. I think people forget that. They were already mm. quite popular um, before, unfortunately, the war started. So... Um, and, you know, you also don't want to ask too much because it's about them. And they also, they had an amazing uh, head of delegation and translator with them. So you have to kind of interview two people at the same time and you have to do it quick because there's like, you know, 50 odd photographers waiting for you to finish. <laughs> and um, it's really high stakes and you can't just like pause and start again and stuff like that. Um, but they, they, that was, I think, my most special Eurovision moment because it was so high stakes and um, Roy edited it like, faster than lightning because you had to post it on youtube straight away and, and kalusha is such an incredible group of people and they were the exact right artist at the exact right time and whereabouts were you in turin when the one when the final points came through whereabouts were you uh Roy and i were right next to the stage or like on stage with like sneakily um i think my reaction is in the video uh, where you see me kind of reacting to the winner. It's so odd because you want everyone to win. Like, I, I follow Chanel, obviously, and Sam, and the, you know the passion from that entire team. And 
you do tend to, you know, know these people very personally and you know what it would mean to any of them. Uh, you know, everyone is crying. I was crying. We were all crying. <laughs> um, but I'm really happy that kind of the success of Eurovision now is bigger than winning the trophy. Um, Sam is doing incredibly well. Chanel is doing incredibly well. So, you know, you you can. And everyone else, by the way, as well. So doing doing the contest, you don't have to win to, to for it to be really a starting point of something really beautiful. Absolutely. Rosalind as well, most streamed Eurovision song of all time now. And yeah. She came, what, 20th or something? I always forget where she came in the end. But yeah, just incredible that yeah. you don't have to win to go on to huge success. So it's always worth it. Also, like, yeah, a good point for journalists being there, like, interview everyone, seriously. Mm. Yeah, um, you, just, you don't know what, um, you don't know who yeah. they're going to be, you don't know who they're going to become. Absolutely. Give them all the attention they deserve, for sure. Yeah. And I was running around going like, this is like a really radio friendly song. Like, why are people not? It reminded me of Hey Ho by the Lumineers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that was like a monster hit. So I was like, why? What is happening? And the stage was really cool. Um, but, you know, it goes to show that Eurovision is a, she is a fickle beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good enough compliment. I get it. I get it. Uh, speaking of songs, speaking of music, can you at all narrow down your favorite ever Eurovision song. It's a, it's a horrible question. I know it is, yeah. uh, because it depends on the day and your mood of the day. But can you? Depends on me. <laughs> um, right now, I'm in a bit of a Celine Dion renaissance. Uh, so like I'm running around singing singing her song in the house. So yeah, because like the chorus is so good. <laughs> like oh my god, my French is terrible. But I was like, <laughs> it never stops us singing, does it? It never stops us singing, yeah. despite how bad our foreign languages um, are. It's like yeah, so uh, she give it a Celine Dion also because people forget in the list of kind of famous people in the zeitgeist, everyone goes Abba, but I'm like. Celine Dion. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but it really it differs. Sometimes it's euphoria, sometimes it's satellite, sometimes it's arcade, sometimes it's like, yeah. And, and also, sometimes I hear a song again that didn't do particularly well, but I'm like, ugh, people are sleeping. We were sleeping on this one. Uh, I mean, we, I saw Go A perform at a festival last year. And they absolutely set the place on fire. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, so yeah, Shum is really high up there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shum is really, really high up there. Maybe I'm always in the mood for Shum, so it might, it might actually be that one. It, it depends, doesn't it? A bit of Celine Dion in the morning, maybe a bit of Shum in the evening, and then Lorene with yeah. Euphoria somewhere in the middle in the afternoon. <laughs> and if I want to have a really good kind of fan edit song i pick arcade (laughs) (laughs) the most iconic tiktok sound i feel like yeah well i think you've named enough there we could probably talk about each and every one of them for hours and hours and hours but we've got a couple more questions to get through one of which has sort of changed over the last couple of years as we talk about the uk because obviously we saw a couple of years ago the uk finished last then they came second then they finished second last so what should the UK do now 
to get back to the left-hand side of the leaderboard? In your humble opinion, what should what should happen next? Um, I'm really flabbergasted that they ended their relationship with uh, their previous artist provider. Yeah. My top advice is you should have said yes to Rina Sayama. <laughs> <laughs> you should have gone back. You should have gone back to her. Um, if that's true, then like I'm going to cry in a corner somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, for the people that don't know the story, I think Rina Sawayama came out to say that she actually wants to go, but then they never yeah. got back. Uh, yeah, the, the journalist Nick Levine was on our podcast a few weeks ago and told us the story about how he'd interviewed her. Yeah. And she said, yeah, I, I went back to the BBC and they never got back to her. So maybe next year, is that, is, would that be a good option for next year, do you think? Is that, are you desperate for that? <laughs> Very much so. I'm a big Karina <laughs> Sayama fan. Uh, but there's, there's loads of, of artists. Like Griff is like a perfect Eurovision book. Mm. Like, I can totally see that working. Um but apart from my personal, very personal relationship with, <laughs> with people, don't be afraid to go with something that is really established already in a space. Like, that's fine. Um, we we don't have to use Eurovision per se as a launch. We also can use it as an extension. I feel like a lot of countries really want to, or a lot of labels, I should say, Want to use Eurovision as a launch pad for an artist because it's really hard nowadays to break in an artist into the industry because it's all very fragmented. And do you do TikTok? Do you not do TikTok? Do you do a single? Do you do radio, etc.? Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to use an artist that already has a really good sense of self. Um, you don't have to pick someone that you can mold into Eurovision, you can also mold Eurovision around someone else. I think that would be a dream for, for many people to see Eurovision as, as you say, an extension rather than a, a launch yeah. part. It would be an absolute dream to see. Right then, we've got one more question to do. And that is, if you were the boss, if you were Martin Usterdahl for the day and you got to change something about Eurovision, we all think it, yeah. we, we'd all love to change something, I'm sure. Oh, what yeah, change yeah. would you like to see? Have you, got a, have you got like a notepad with loads of ideas on or is there something rattling yeah. around your head? Yeah, show show the jury clips, man. Please, show the jury clips. <laughs> well, for, for the um, viewers at home, you want them to yeah, see what the jury yeah. see. Make them available on YouTube or something. Um, because every single year we have this discourse of the jury just mucking about, um, even though people don't understand it. Like, people do use Eurovision quite strategically sometimes. So an artist may save their voice during the jury show because they are banking on audience votes or, um, you know, sometimes the nerves get the best of someone. Um, And as a jury that takes their job very seriously, if someone doesn't sing properly, it's going to cost them. Um, Even though they can be on their vocal best during the normal show. Um, So yeah, a bit more transparency on you know, the jury voting, how it works. Because it is mentioned briefly, I think, in a lot of countries' commentaries that the jury show, the jury sees a different show. But I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. Um, so, yeah, a bit a bit more communication between what those things entail. And then uh, maybe, mm, this is really difficult to implement, maybe, but I want a max on how much money a country can spend on a performance. 
Oh, really? In terms of the yeah. the visual performance on stage rather than like all the promotion alongside it, I guess. Or... Yeah, I want yeah. a monetary cap on, on stage performances to kind of, you know, equal the playing field a bit amongst countries because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but some countries, you know, they pay, an artist may pay for their own flight and all of their own clothing and, you know, the the differences are sky high between a country deciding, oh, we do want a bit of extra firework here and there in a country, not being able to get anything from the spectacular uh, visual menu <laughs> that they <laughs> present to you. Um, so, yeah, I do want to advocate for, um, you know, a max. So we don't, because the difference is staggering. I think the audience can feel that as well when they see a performance. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Two great ideas that we can serve up to the ABU and we'll say, look, we've got these ideas from Sam here in the Netherlands. Let's see. Yeah, but don't listen to me, Martin. You know, <laughs> you know, do you think? Don't mind me. Don't mind me. I'm just a humble, humble fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sammy, this has been great fun. Uh, thanks for joining us to chat about your entire love of the Eurovision Song Gone. It's been great fun. Thank you so much. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So this is the contest and me from us here at the Eurotrip. You're listening to me, Rob, him, James, and you have just been listening to James's lovely conversation with the broadcaster Samia Hafsawi. James, that must have been a lovely, what, half hour, 40 minutes of your time? It was, yeah. I've never spoken to Samia before, but I felt like I already knew her so, so much after seeing her uh, in 21 and 22 on YouTube and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I said about half an hour ago that she's got such an infectious personality and maybe you're newer to Eurovision than she is and you've never come across her before, but I can guarantee you that you 
will just love everything you've just heard because she's just so full of energy. She just tells the best stories and has some great memories. Yeah, we heard about her playing table tennis with Senate <laughs> from San Marino in Rotterdam, which I really enjoyed. And I thought it was really interesting, everything she was saying about how the UK Eurovision, maybe we need to change things up. Maybe we don't need to send someone who isn't an established artist. Maybe we need to send an established artist. And this is my favourite thing that Sammy said. She said, why don't uh, people consider Eurovision as an extension? I liked it. Yeah, Maybe not a launch that. pad. Yeah, not a launch pad, but an extension. Yeah, I think for, for many people, I think I, just, I think I said this with Samia, that people would love to see established artists on the stage for the country. But maybe we just need a little bit more time for some more results to come in, uh, some more results at the top of the leaderboard to, uh, to make sure that some of the more established artists don't see it as too much of a risk. But who knows yeah. what's to come in the next few years or so. Well, exactly. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, me and you might be talking on the podcast in January when Harry Styles is announcing the UK at Eurovision in Malmo. Although probably not. But uh, yeah, so much interesting stuff there. And also, James, we always say our favourite question probably, what's the one change you've made to the Eurovision Song Contest? And Sammy is suggesting a price cap for each country's performance to level the playing field. That was a good one. Yeah, I think, do you remember earlier this year, I don't think we ever found out if it was true or not, but there was like a document that was sort of leaked online about how much it costs for per firework and, and, and whatever, or the pyro. It was, it, was, it was like the most extravagant shopping list you've ever seen, wasn't it? It was like three, well, not 3,000, 30,000 euro for a firework or yeah. 10,000 euro for a wind machine. Yeah. Yeah, it was remarkable, that, that price list. Whether or not it was true or not, I still don't know. But... Obviously, it does cost more to have pyro and to, you know, have more people on the stage or to do, you know, more extravagant visuals on an LED screen. But yeah, I do wonder if it was if it was capped, if it was more of a level playing field, maybe it would be a more of a tight contest. Who knows? They might just have to try it out and see what happens. But yeah, great suggestion from Sammy. Not heard that one before. Absolutely not, no. Thank you, Samia, though, for joining us for this episode. It's been brilliant to have you along, and hopefully you all at home, or wherever you are listening to this, have enjoyed. James, we will return next week with another guest on The Contest in Me, and another fascinating guest on The Contest in Me. Yes, I've heard who it is. I've not heard the interview yet, but I'm very excited uh, for you all to hear it because it's going to be a good one. So we'll be back with you in a week's time next Wednesday for your brand new episode of the Eurotrip, a brand new episode of the Contest of Me, of course. Uh, but in the meantime, you can keep up to date with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter uh, and Instagram, and you can see some of the videos as well on, on our TikTok. Please email us as well. We are hello at eurotrippodcast.com. And as well, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye.